Welcome to the Love Means Nothing podcast, episode one. Uh, this is your home for all things ATP WTA Tour, on court, off court, uh, social media. And uh, I'm joined with uh, joined by Vid Yadav, my co-host here. My name is Drew Yadav. We are brothers and fo- both former collegiate tennis players. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously were playing tennis a lot uh, in college every day, dedicating our life to the sport. Um, and as we've kind of progressed into the... Uh, the work environment. We haven't had as much chance to play tennis on the court, so uh, we've kind of translated our passion into being a fans of the sport, being fans of the ATP and uh, WTA Tour, and uh, you know, playing the sport at a relatively high level. We think we can really kind of appreciate uh, just how good these some of these players are, and and give some unique insights on the tour and and what's going on. And um, you know, that's kind of going to be the podcast. We're going to give our all unfiltered opinions. Uh, talk about news of the day, and then you know if something comes up in a uh, different different part of tennis, whether it's juniors or or college tennis, or maybe a rule change or umpires, uh, we'll touch on that too. So, uh, Vid, I don't know if you uh, want to add anything. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Uh, podcast, we're going to be talking about the tour, um, what's happening on court, off court, like Drew mentioned, and really just um, an all encompassing podcast about all um, things tennis that is centered around. The ATP Tour will also try and dive into the Challenger Tour and things uh, that are kind of more detailed for, you know, maybe a fan that wants to get kind of more into it, Um, but also really getting into kind of the personalities of the players, which is something that, you know, we all enjoy and really why, you know, people are attracted to sports where they may not have um, previous experience before. So we'll be kind of hitting it all, but um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what the podcast is going to be about. So we'll see um, what happens on episode one right now. <laughs> yeah. So episode one is going to be kind of about Carlos Alcaraz's uh, title in Madrid and uh, kind of previewing the uh, Italian Open. And we also touch on uh, Novak Rafa uh, prospects for the French Open, as well as going a little bit deeper into lower ranked players and, and some thoughts on them. So I uh, hope you enjoy. Um, with that, let's kind of get into it um, with the first uh, with the first order of business here in terms of um, you know, last week, Madrid Open, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, I think it's just um, almost hard to put into words what he's doing. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, the analysts on Tennis Channel and everything else are saying, like, let's wait, let's not, you know, let's not dub this guy as the next all-time great. And it's almost like a restraint that they're, that they're putting because they don't want to overhype this guy. But at the same time, you just cannot ignore what's going on on the court. I mean, he's just, he's just one uh the miami open and he's just won uh the madrid open i i mean that's two atp thousand events he's got a winning record the best record of anyone on tour except for rafa nadal against the top top 10 opposition um and i mean these matches are not necessarily that close we've seen him destroy stefanos Tsitsipas on multiple occasions this season and we just saw him annihilate alexander zverev who granted isn't having a great season but is just a clear top five player in the world. I mean, he, he took him apart in the finals. There was no competition there. Um, never, you never thought he was at risk. And, you know, Vid, for me, the thing about watching the, the, which we haven't even mentioned yet, is the only player to ever beat Nadal and Djokovic on the clay court, um, is that in those matches, I was, I was thinking 
you know, you, when, when you see Nadal and you play, see Djokovic playing these maybe up-and-coming players or anyone who's in the top 10, and the, game, the match is close, you're always thinking, okay, Nadal is going to win. Djokovic is going to win. You know, you saw it in Nadal's match against David Goffin earlier in the tournament where it was a three-set match, but you kind of just felt Nadal was going to pull it out. The weird thing for me was watching those matches. I felt like Alcaraz was going to win those two, both of those matches, Nadal and Djokovic. And granted, they're not playing their best tennis right now, but it's something crazy to say about an 18, 19-year-old now. So uh, I don't know, Vid, what, are your th- what were your thoughts on the, the, you know, the overall just performance? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the overall performance is astounding. I don't think it's anything like, you know, we've seen since Nadal. Nadal did the same thing back in Madrid when he was 18. And I think this guy is is the next big thing. I think, like you said, the analysts on Tennis Channel are maybe hesitant to say it because um, we've been talking about this um, supposed next gen for a long time. Some of these next gen guys are almost 30 now. So <laughs> I think the next gen is actually, honestly, the next next gen, Carlos Alcaraz, Sebastian Baez, these guys coming up. And I think um, I can understand why people would be hesitant to say they're going to be the next big thing. but um, I wouldn't be scared to say it, say it, seeing how this guy's really just dominating um, everyone. And, you know, back to that question, whether we can kind of, you know, dub him the next great of the sport. I think, I think the only thing that we haven't seen from him is getting to a semifinal final in a major. But uh, that being said, it was, you know, lost tiebreaker, Australian Open, Berrettini, um, U.S. Open. He was in the quarters, had to pull out. Um, and so I think, I think he's right there. I think honestly, after the French open, we, even if he doesn't win it, we'll be saying, um, you know, this is our next guy that's going to kind of take over the sport after, um, Novak and Rafa kind of, um, make their exits whenever that is. No, I think that's right. I think, you know, when you talk about what we've been, we've been talking about the next gen for the past 10, 15 years, it's true. I mean, every time there's another player, whether it's Grigor Dimitrov, Kenny Shikori, um, Marin Cilic, uh, any of these guys, Milos Raonic, um, they were kind of dubbed the next gen. And that was still, uh, you know, at the time when Djokovic, Nadal and Federer were all in the primes of their careers. And, and, you know, we didn't know they were in the prime of their careers. Usually, you know, back in the day, 32, 33, that was when players started falling off. But, uh, you know, as we've seen with, with Djokovic, Rafa and Federer, they just continue um, uh, to assert their dominance. So, um, you know, I think that makes sense. And I, I just think, Regardless of all the statistics, you can you can you know the statistics of how historic um, these kind of performances are at this age. But for me, it's it's the feeling that I get when I watch Carlos Alcaraz play tennis. You know, um, he just is able to do things on the court that I I I literally I think I can see something new every single time uh, that I watch him. And um, you know, his forehand drop shot, I just don't, I don't see any weaknesses in his game at the moment. His serve is incredible. His return is already one of the best in the game. Um, you know, he's the second, he's got the second highest uh, percentage of return games won uh, uh, on the tour and uh, both wings he can attack from. So, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of like numbers that you can put at it, but for me, it's just when you watch him play that feeling that, the guy is just special and you can, you can just send something, you know, yeah. you, it's just, it's different. You know, there's, we talk about the it factor. A lot of people have the it factor actually. Um, but then there's some, some people who are different and some people who are special. And Nadal said that too. He said, this guy is different. And for him, you know, it takes someone who's different to go up from 130 in the rankings of this time last year, all the way to number six. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I mean, just he brings in different elements of his game and, you know, you don't really know what to expect from him and he always seems to execute. Uh, I saw, I think it was uh, like some TikTok reel or something on Instagram that was comparing him, his game to, that's really, it's a crossover almost of Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. And I, that's honestly not. That's when, that's when, that's when people say like, you got to reel it in a little bit is when, when you say like, <laughs> the point is, the three point guys, is, but I, I take your point, you know, but at the same time. The point is he's, you know, he's amazing. He's the real deal. I think that's what we wanted to get to. And honestly, you said it's the feeling that you get for yourself. For me, it's not the feeling. It's just watching him play. It looks like he has some sort of power up in Mario Kart um, all the time throughout the entire match. So it's just, it's just remarkable, honestly. And I think that we can just get into our next conversation about is he, is he the favorite going into Paris? I think from my side, hands down, he's the favorite. Um, I don't know what, what your thoughts are, I assume. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know um, if I would consider him necessarily to be the favorite, but what I can do is pull up the odds for you. And I think we can do a little bit of trivia here because I have the odds right, right in front of me at this moment. Um, and I will just tell you, um, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with gambling, um, uh, plus 110, um, that would mean $100 to win uh, 110. So you get your initial 100 back plus, a, plus 110 more. Um, so essentially the lower number here, um, the more chance you have, have to win. So Vid, I'm going to... I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you four players here. And these are the odds of the French Open. Um, and you kind of just tell me what you think, uh, who you think uh, is who in terms of the odds. So the favorite for the French Open is at plus 137. The second favorite is at plus 200. The third favorite is plus 275. And the final, uh, the fourth uh, highest chance player to win is plus 550. So what are your thoughts on the act those actual odds? You said that Alcaraz was your favorite. So um Alcaraz is my favorite I think that the odds makers favorites is gonna be Nadal okay I think that number two for them is gonna be Djokovic and I think number three is gonna be uh Alcaraz it has to be and then number four um Stefanos okay so you were very close you almost got it correctly yes Rafa Nadal is the odds makers favorite at plus 137, Carlos Alcaraz is plus 200, second, uh, Djokovic at plus 275, and then it's Stefanos Tsitsipas at plus 550, who I think honestly might be someone who you want to bet on because he's been consistent. And like you said, we have not seen uh, Carlos in terms of a long tournament where you have to play five sets, right? So we haven't seen that from him. Um, I think Nadal is dealing with some injuries right now, and I think Djokovic still doesn't have his confidence up. So when it comes to betting, I, I might just in terms of the value, the value play might even go at Stefanos Tsitsipas at plus five fifty. Um, but you know, it's funny because you talk about players. I'd being we're always talking about Rafa at the French Open. No one can beat him over five sets because he's just such a physical beast, right? No one can. You might win the set. You might win two sets of him. Same thing with Djokovic. You saw Musetti took two sets off him last year at the French Open and just just physically basically collapsed. Um, it's weird because I'm thinking now, who's going to beat Carlos Alcaraz over five sets? And I know we, he's young and we haven't seen him, um, you know, seen him in a de deep in a major as of yet. But um, I, I just I just cannot I cannot picture someone beating Carlos Alcaraz in a three out of five set match. At the, at the, the only thing I'll say that may affect Carlos Alcaraz is 
if he's – I mean, these guys like Djokovic and all, they know how to kind of pace themselves through a major all the way from the first round to the final. I think the only thing that Carlos may not know how to do yet is is that, but but I don't know, and I think we'll just have to wait and see what happens at the French, but that's the, that's the only thing I can think of, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean we, we've seen him just so carefree and – he has no tension in his body, right? He's, he's coming in and he's, he's got no pressure um, at all. And I don't know when that pressure is going to hit, if it ever will. Um, but again, obviously that's something to look, to look at when you're coming into a tournament like, like the French Open and, and you, you know, you're finally noticing you're getting, you're getting compared to the likes of, of, of Federer, uh, uh, Djokovic um, and Rafa. Um, so I don't, so, I don't think he's going to be affected by that. Um, neither do I, but I, neither do I. No. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's not going to be affected, but I think, should we, should we turn to, um, talk about our friend on the other side of things? Who's maybe, yeah. Um, let's take you a little bit. Let's talk about, let's let's talk about the Madrid open finalist who like, let's just say all things considered, considering how his, his year has went in his personally and on the court, um, all things considered a good tournament. I mean, to, to come through the draw after, you know, first round, um, losing the first set to Marin Cilic, and I think if you're a Zverev fan, you're thinking, here we go again, um, you know, making gestures to his box. Doesn't look – looks like he would rather be literally anywhere else but the tennis court in Madrid. Um, honestly, I'm going to give him credit for fighting through that first round, and I'm going to give him credit for being Stefanos Tsitsipas, who has been, you know, really, really, really good on clay and already has uh, – you know, one Masters 1,000 win this year in Monte Carlo. And, you know, we know Zverev, Madrid is a place where he does well. He's won this tournament two times. Um, he likes he, he likes playing there. And I would hope, I, I, you know, I would say that if the final was a little closer, this might have been done, done wonders for his confidence. But uh, unfortunately, I, I, again, you saw the old Alexander Zverev from the Australian Open come back in the finals where it's, this guy beat me in the first set. I'm not going to try anything to do, do anything different. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to employ anything different tactically. I'm just going to throw my hands up and say, okay, Carlos, here's the title. Um, and you kind of saw that with his comments after the match where it's, we love to see respect between players. I'm not someone who, say, who says that these players have to hate each other. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you, you saw him saying, okay, you're the best player in the world, Carlos Alcaraz. You're going to win a ton of grand slams. I'm so happy for you. I mean, that's great, but you just got destroyed, man. I mean, you just got fucking destroyed. And it's, 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 he's not showing, at least when he was showing the anger, and I mean, I'm not advocating for slamming, uh, you know, a line judge's chair uh, and putting his life in danger, but... I don't, I don't know if his life... Look, I'm not advocating for that, but at least when he had anger, there was some fire there. I, I, think, I think that Zver is unfortunately just confused with himself right now, confused with his game. Um, and it is unfortunate for him that he got uh, destroyed in the finals. Um, because yeah, I just I don't see it from him. I don't I don't see his Grand Slam winning mentality uh, ever ever to be honest. And that's why he hasn't won a Grand Slam. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean I think I, I agree with you on the point that it was a good tournament, especially after that meltdown in Germany against Holger. Um, that was you know not what you want to see from a top three player in the world. Um, and what else? It was I think he just needs to. You know, you kind of briefed up Madrid pretty well, but moving forward, um, kind of what does success look like for him in Rome and Paris? Yeah. I think it's um, 
you know, just, just no, no meltdowns, no yips on the serve. Um, you know, get, get to where you're supposed to get to in the draw. Hopefully, you know, um, I don't think. Did you see the, wait, I'm going to interrupt you. Did you see the finals? Um, Madrid? Yeah, Madrid. Yeah, I saw, I saw some of it. I didn't watch okay. it. Last two points in the match, two double faults. So that's, I yeah, so. I, mean, I think he just needs to get that out of here. Um, get through, get through Rome, Paris without, um, anything too crazy happening and kind of just, just get through it. Um, honestly, um, get to the, get to the grass court season. And I think, um, ramp up. And I think honestly in store for him at the end of the year could be something big still, um, at the U S open swing and at the U S open and on the grass. But I think, I think it's damage control, um, uh, on the clay for, for, um, Alex Zverev and, um, talking about, I know we want to talk a bit about what we think his team, his coach could change. Yeah. Um, I think he should take a page out of Iga Sviantek's book and maybe get a, um, she has a psychologist that travels with her. I think that would be good for him. I think he doesn't, his game doesn't lack. He's, he's unbelievable. His head lacks. Um, and that's what's causing his yips. That's what's causing him, you know, his meltdowns. And I think if you get that straight, then, um, you know, then he'll be able to focus on his incredible tennis and then probably be able to take it up a level. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because it just feels like some of these guys who try to pretend like they don't really care that much or it's all good or, uh, you know, I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriend. I'm going to go party after. I'm, I'm a really cool guy. I'm posting on Instagram. It almost seems like when the matches get tough, they're the guys who are actually the ones who get the most nervous. And it's, it seems like they're covering up for they really, really, really want to win and they are putting on a persona of, oh, it's all good. I'm, I'm maturing. I'm becoming a better person. And, 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 and that's, just my, that's just my opinion of it. And I totally agree with you. I think as someone who's worked with a sports psychologist in the past, that can really put you in that perfect mindset in between being calm and in between being intense and truly focusing on the process and not the result. Um, which I think, like you said, Alexander Zverev has the game to do. But if you want to disagree with me, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I disagree with you in the fact that you think Zverev doesn't outwardly speak about what he wants to achieve. I think he almost speaks out a little too much as to what he wants to achieve, and that might be affecting affecting him. He's won literally everything except the major. He talks about winning majors being number one in the world. There was a quote. He, he said something last year, at the end of last year, that the new – big three I mean I don't think he should have said this but he said the new big three is going to be me Daniil and Novak and that's just not the case this year um (laughs) I think I think if anything I disagree with you I think he really puts out um the fact that he wants to win big titles and I think um maybe he shouldn't do that maybe he should do that maybe he shouldn't I don't know but um what he's doing right now is is not working I think it's just his head needs to be in a little bit of a, a better place. I mean, it's a tough, the tour is tough. To yeah. Find. Um, so I think and he knows that obviously he's the best, one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I disagree with you on the fact that, you know, he's shying away from um, saying that he wants to achieve the greatest things. Cause I think he's not, he's not doing that. I don't think it's about saying, I don't think it's about saying, I think about his actions. So when I look at him on the court and he's doing things like just shrugging, and he's doing things like not come, not attempting to come back. And he's not, I, I just, I, for me, it's not necessarily his words. It's just kind of the, I guess, vibe that I get from him. And I think 
he, I think he's someone who's very, he, he does care a lot about the perception of others. Um, and you, you see him kind of, he's almost too focused on becoming a better person, but he's actually not focused on becoming a better person. He's focused on what the outward perspective of him thinks. So I, I think that the off course stuff also has to be, has to be affecting him at this point. Um, he just doesn't seem comfortable. Uh, he doesn't seem comfortable in his own skin right now and, and, in any in any facet of his life so um, yeah 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 I I think I think when you're talking about the off-court things I think what happened in Acapulco um, for those that don't know he was kind of you know end of a doubles match let uh, his anger get the better of him and started slamming the umpire's chair with his racket obviously shouldn't have done that but yeah I mean that's embarrassing he knows it's embarrassing for himself and that's probably still weighing on him he can't take his anger out on the court you see him I saw him in Miami when we were there, he looked like he just wanted to slam a racket, but was scared too. So that would be weighing on my head if I was him too. So I think, I think he'll just need to damage control through the rest of the clay court season. And I think he'll be fine, hopefully um, coming into the U S open swing. I mean, let's just wrap up with the quote from Zverev. And I think this kind of encapsulates what we say, so we don't have to comment on it, but you know, blaming the scheduling, blaming the tournament organizers, you're a professional athlete um, and you're, you're saying the scheduling is, this is what Zverev says. The scheduling needs to be done better. Yesterday, I started my match at 11 p.m. I played three sets, finished at 1.30. My body was not ready for the match. If you stay up till 4 or 5 a.m., you're tired. So, again, I, I don't necessarily actually disagree with him. I, I, I agree with him. I'm so I agree with him on that. I mean, if- but, but, but it's, not about, it's not about that. It's about making an excuse, in my opinion. And I, I agree with him on the fundamental point that the tournament should be scheduled better. Players shouldn't be going to bed that late. But, you know, for, for to make those comments after getting destroyed in a 62-minute absolute beatdown, I would not be making excuses. I, I mean, you, 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 can, you can compete at that point, you know? So, I, you, so what, are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think he was making an excuse. I think he said if he was fresh, he probably would have lost to Carlos. Um, I don't think it was an excuse. I think it was, you know, just a side point that he made um, that he wanted to get out to – whoever that needed to be gotten out to, but I agree with him. If, if the scheduling could have done, been done differently, it probably should have been getting. Yeah. To- I don't know. Yeah. I, you might be right. We might be having some PTSD for Zvera because as we know in Acapulco, that the matches start at 6 PM. So he was up till 5 AM. Who knows the lack of sleep potentially increased that, that anger quotient, which, which caused him to attack the umpire. So we don't know. Um, so I think you know, historically he's had just, I think late nights for Alexander Zverev, I think those are bad. So we're going to just, we're going to say that. Um, but yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. What's next? How, how long are we into this? Jesus. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Let's just, let's just keep going. Um, <laughs> this thing's on for 40 minutes. So, so it, uh, we'll, we'll be able to figure it out. It's okay. I can Okay, Nadal and Djokovic. Yeah, quick on Nadal and Djokovic, then we get to the midfield. Midfield's always fun, um, right? For us. <laughs> For us. Um, okay, uh, you want to take it away with Nadal? You can, go. you can go first if you want. Okay, yeah, sure. I'll t- um, I think the first point we wanted to talk about here was <laughs> who has more to prove um, at Rome. And honestly, I don't think either of these guys have much to prove. I think... Both of them are um, looking to peak at the French Open. And I think as long as they, you know, I think they're hopefully going to both get to the semis here. They're going to play each other. And I think that will show us who maybe has the upper hand going into the French. Um, But I'd say in terms of, you know, 
confidence. I think Djokovic just has less matches under his belt. So every match um, he plays and wins is going to get him going even more. And this is, we're a little, we're into the Rome opens. He looked really solid. Got to watch him play Karatsev. Um, looked solid three and three, pretty routine win. And I don't think he was playing his best. And honestly, he looked good against Alcaraz, even though he lost. Um, and I think that was not, he wasn't at a hundred percent there. So I think, um, Back to the main point on who has a lot much more to prove. I don't think either has a, anything big to prove, but I think it'll show us who just has maybe a slight upper hand going into the French. Yeah, um, for sure. And then with regards to Novak's confidence, um, I think it's back. Um, I think he's, he's playing well, playing really well, not at 100%. I think he's at like 90% maybe, um, maybe even a little less than that. But I think he's... He's back, and I think that kind of shows you how hard it is to come back to match play after you've been away um, for so long. So I think um, I think that those are my two cents on on kind of the Rome Open for Novak and uh, and Rafa. Yeah, um, I think I, I agree with you. I think with Novak, you're seeing a very clear ramping up. Uh, you know, I'm I'm personally still a little concerned um, <coughs> about Novak just because, <coughs> like, if you we've seen him in. Obviously, we know Monte Carlo, he was dealing with an illness uh, against Davidovich Fakina. And then uh, the Serbia Open, just he lost a set in, I think, every, I think every match. And then and then just got destroyed by Rublev 6-0 in the third set. Um, uh, you know, he had a couple good wins. I guess he beat Hercos in, uh, in Madrid. Um, and then, yeah, I, to be honest, though, about the, you know, the Novak-Alcaraz match, I don't think Alcaraz was playing that well either in that match. I think it was kind of um, neither was playing at their best. Um, but I think the one thing I will say about that match is it was a grueling, I think, over three-hour battle, and Novak was fresh. I mean, he was that was the difference between uh, Serbia and Madrid was the third set against Rublev. He just crumbled and physically crumbled. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but um, he was there. I mean, he was there with Akaraz uh, 100%. I think, uh, for me, I'm more concerned with Rafa because you hear the comments that he makes about his foot and it does not sound good. He, he's saying I have a chronic illness. I can barely walk. Um, and he says it's better for him to, you know, actually play tournaments. So I think the one, I'm not sure how the, at a major, is that foot going to hold up? Um, you know, it's two weeks grueling. Um, and I think he's really going to have to destroy people and not spend, uh, you know, his court time is going to have to be minimized. Um, in terms of me, for me, I think, I think just, in terms of answering the question, who needs who has more to prove? I would say it's Novak. Um, we know Nadal is the best player in the history of the world on clay. Um, I think when he's healthy, he he's going to be fine. And I think the foot issue is not something you can prove. Like your foot's going to be either injured or not. Um, so I just say slightly slightly Novak. And like you said, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully they can they can play each other in the semis. <clears throat> um, and um, um, yeah, I mean the only other thing I would say is that. Uh, you know, Nadal, I, I don't know if he's really embracing this pass, passing the torch to Alcaraz, like, at all. Um, you know, you see some of the quotes that he's saying about, about Carlos and saying, yeah, d you know, don't, I know that a new car is always more attractive than an old car. If you need to see a new phone, it's always better than, than an old phone. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's honestly, it is a little surreal for Nadal that you're seeing another, another 19-year-old Spaniard coming into the French Open after winning Madrid, after winning Miami, exactly how Nadal did in 2005. I mean, it's crazy, the parallels between these two guys. Um, but I think Nadal just really, really, really wants to get 
I think he really wants this one French Open because I think mentally the way you're hearing him talk about his foot, he doesn't know how long he's going to last. He really is just enjoying every moment out there. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think um, honestly, Nadal against Alcaraz, I don't think Nadal was at his best no. at all. No, I don't know. Probably the foot because that's not you know nothing else is going to stop Nadal unless his body is stopping him. So yeah, I think it's it's a question of of the foot for him. And I think honestly, that's why, um, that's why I have, you know, it's possible that Djokovic may be ahead of him, uh, to win the French just because Djokovic is, you know, his body is just insane. Always, always on point 99% of the time. Um, and Alcaraz is young. So I think that's, that makes sense. Um, why, you know, we might not see Nadal and, yeah in the French Open final, which is, which is crazy to say, but also, you know, very realistic. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, Novak, the way he takes care of his body is why you can, you see he is just, um, I, I think he could, he could go for, for many more years and still be playing at an extremely high level, maybe not winning every single major or getting a chance with every major, but, um, you know, the, the way that he's dedicated to taking care of his body might, might, might be the factor that leads to him having the most grand slams that we're not going to touch on that topic today. I think, um, I think it's something we should touch on eventually if we can get this podcast off the ground. You know, I think, I think we should, I think it's something we have to discuss because there's just so many dynamics to it. Um, and Carlos Alcaraz, ironically for Nadal could play spoiler in allowing Nadal to be ahead of Djokovic, which is, which is kind of crazy if you think about it that way. Um, but um yeah, no, I think I think that's it. I don't think there's too much to be said about Rafa and Djokovic right now. No, um, I think Djokovic is is really raising his confidence, um, and I'm actually really excited to see this. I know you said doesn't you don't think it really matters that much, but I'm excited to watch these two guys play this week just to get a sense of where they're at. Yeah, yeah, I agreed, agreed. I mean, Djokovic against Warinka potentially third round, so that'll be that'll, it'll just be fun to watch those two guys on court, you know, together and after all the battles they've had in their in their careers. Yeah. All right. Should we get on to um, to the midfield and talk a bit about the the midfield? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, why don't you just give a quick quick summary on what okay. the midfield? Is? Really, really quick for two. Yeah. So this is this this is going to be. Um, I'll just go. I'll just go very quickly here. So the way we kind of me and Vid we kind of categorize our uh, ATP professional ladder, I guess you could say. Um, we kind of categorize players into, into different levels, right? Based on where they're at in their careers and, and, and how good we think they are. So, and again, this is very, it's a very fluid thing um, and it's totally arbitrary, but we did feel like some classification was necessary just moving forward from the podcast. So we can kind of have a consistent standard for what we're going to, what we're going to, how we're going to rate players, I guess. Um, so the first would be Grand Slam contenders. I mean, that's, Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Medvedev, Tsipas, Alcaraz. Um, so those guys who are, you would not be surprised if they won a Grand Slam. They've passed Grand Slam champions. Um, <laughs> second would be blue chip contenders, players that can be anyone, their top 10, top 15 guys, but you really wouldn't see them winning a slam. Think Shapovalov, Sinner, Berrettini, Kasper, Rublev, et cetera. So then our last group, which we're, again, we're going to kind of dedicate parts of our podcast to, uh, to this group because they don't really get that much attention, but it's worth, you know, it's worth paying attention and sort of highlighting a player or um, focusing on, on this group of players. It's the midfields. This is touring ATP professionals. They are essentially getting into every ATP event, but they're never going to be a top eight, top 16 seed at a Grand Slam. 
um, you know, maybe they'll be a 16 or 15 seed, but um, they're kind of guys who might lose first round a few weeks in a row and they might win a 250. Um, you know, they're kind of looking to go third, fourth round of slams would be really good results for them. Um, and this is kind of guys ranked from 20 down to 60, 70. So that's how we define the midfield. And we're going to kind of have a little bit of a segment on the midfield each week and, and talk about kind of whatever and, uh, is in the news. For the next segment, um, we're going to talk about the midfield, like we said, and we're going to do kind of this week's, um, we'll do my opinion of this week's uh, midfield winners and losers. And uh, Drew will chime in to talk about, you know, what he agrees or disagrees with, if he wants to throw another name in there. Some people have to work. They don't have time to, to look up the um, tennis players ranked 40 to 50 and pick a winner. So some people do have a job. Um, so, yeah. For, yeah, fortunately, I'm unemployed right now. So. <laughs> so I can take, you know, devote the time to making this podcast great. Um, so, yeah, I'll give my take on the midfield now. So, so for me, the, the winners this week were, was obviously David Goffin. I mean, last week or two weeks ago, he won a 250. Um, he had, a, you know, an amazing match with Nadal in Madrid. And now we're, you know, a bit into Rome. And he's taken out Hubert, um, six and six, a massive win. Um, and, you know, this is after he was struggling for, you know, a year, year and a half, not winning many matches. I personally honestly thought that, you know, he wasn't ever going to kind of come back. I thought he was going to kind of fade, fade away. But it's nice to see him back winning a tournament um, and also kind of competing with, with the top guys. So that's, that's my first winner. Uh, my second win, winner is um, Andy Murray, our favorite player. Um, massive wins over... Are we defining Andy Murray as a midfield player from here forth forward as a grand multiple time grand slam winner? I think it's fair, but it's unfortunate. It's he's in the midfield right now, so he's going to be a midfield player. Um, we hope we hope to see him not in the midfield. Sorry, Andy, if you're listening, <laughs> Andy's, Andy's not listening. Um, but, <laughs> but but he's a midfield player right now. I hope I hope he's not. I hope he's out of the midfield soon. But for now. Yes, but the win over team was huge. Even though teams coming off an injury, it was probably a good confidence win uh, for Muzzard. And um, also beating Shappers, Denis Shapovalov, that guy is just a powerhouse. I mean, and Andy Murray being able to compete with that guy, um, Dennis, and take him out in three sets, I thought was pretty pretty impressive. So it was awesome to see that from from Andy. And my third winner, um, and after that, we'll get Drew's reaction, is... Losers? We're supposed to be doing losers and winners of midfield. Because I need to talk about some guy who's lost, like, three first rounds in a row. I, I actually have a loser, but go ahead. Uh, yeah. I can do a we're, 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 finishing, we're finishing winners, and we're going to go to losers. My last... And we're going to talk about winners, then I will go to losers. My my final winner is is Jack Draper. Um, you know, wild card into Madrid. Um you know, up and coming British 20 year old, I think, won a ton of challengers last year, maybe five or something, a ton, I don't know. Um, and, a, you know, first round beat Lorenzo Sonigo, solid win. Drew doesn't think it was a good win, but I think it was a good win for him. And then taking Rublev to three sets um, and, you know, seven five in the third, really good result. Rublev was getting mad. He was obviously frustrated and thought that you know there's a chance he's going to be taken out by this kid jack draper um so i think there's more to come 
from this guy on the ATP tour, a lot more to come. So those are, those are my three winners. Drew, what do you, what do you think? No, I think with David Guffin, you hit it right on the head. I mean, this is, again, what we go, I think, you know what, I think I've realized also is guys who have movement, rhythm, and mental toughness as three of their big strengths, they don't have the biggest serves. Sometimes it's harder for them to come back, I think, um, from a long-term layoff. And, and I mean, you know, even with Novak, I think his, his movement and his serve is not, not the best. And you, you see uh, someone like Goffin, who was a consistent top 20, top 15 player, I think he might have even cracked the top 10, um, fall back. And I can understand why you might, your initial reaction might be, I don't think he's going to come back because he goes through eight months of losing first, second round in tournaments, and you're almost surprised when you see him playing on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, but no, I, I, think, I think that's a, David Goffin is a, is a good winner. And I saw his match today against Hubi Hercots. Um, Again, you could just see the confidence on the bigger points, willingness to step up, willingness to step in the court. And he was not second-guessing himself at all, which is, which is uh, really good to see from a guy who we know has uh, so much potential and, and just flying around the court. I mean, just flying around the court, frustrating Herkos, um, and just forcing Hubi into a lot of errors. So, um, yeah, we did see that. He almost beat Rafa uh, last week as well. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to watch David Goffin play tennis because I think, I think he can really create some magic. Um, well, you know, when it comes to Andy Murray, I disagree. I don't think that – I don't think you can put him as a winner. Um, you look at Denis Shapovalov, a guy who is extremely erratic. He can obviously – I think he could win an easily win a Grand Slam. I mean, he could lose first round to, like, um, Radu Albot easily. It's like 2-2. Two two. Um, so, I don't think that that's that impressive of a win, especially you talk about Shapovalov on clay. Um, not, it's not the same Denis Shapovalov. You have the same errors, and you do not get the same uh, – forehand power penetration of shot as you do on the hard court. And then again, Dominic team, I don't, he has literally has not won a match. Um, and his comeback, he lost, I think actually, yeah, he hasn't won a match. He lost in the challenger. Then he lost again, lost again, lost again. And then he just lost today to, do you know who he lost? Who he lose to today? Who lost team? Dominic. Yeah. Um, I don't, who did he lose to? He's just losing too much. Let's see. Dominic team. Uh, lost to, oh, Fabio, yeah, Fabio. Yeah, I mean, he lost to Fabio, who's, Fabio is, like, very, very mediocre season, you know, um, and it's crazy, because you see people saying this was Dominic's best match of his comeback, and he straight set lost to Fabio Pagnini. I think he will come back, I think he's going to be great again, um, but I don't think the win for Andy Murray against Dominic team is good, and, I'm just going to jump in on, you're, you're kind of ragging on Shappers here, and um, <laughs> honestly, I think I'm, on Shappers. I'm saying he's an inconsistent player who has on his day can beat anyone and on his day can lose anyone. So, would you classify him? I'd classify him as a blue chip player. I think he can beat anyone on his day. Blue chip? No, I, he's not. No, I, I, no. Yeah. What is the second tier? Blue chip. Oh, you're uh, blue. Yeah, I, 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 I think no, I agree. He's blue chip. Yeah, second tier. Second tier. Second tier. Yeah, he can beat anyone on his day. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he can lose to anyone. So. <clears throat> My point is, like, a win for Murray against Sinner. I think Sin- – I rate Sinner and Shapovalov somewhat similar because Shapovalov has a higher ceiling and a lower floor, but Sinner's more consistent. But I think because Sinner's more consistent, I would say that – I would rate that as a higher win. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, yeah, because he, because Shappers could be lower on his – Yeah, where Sinner's all consistently playing from a level from, say, like, I don't know, five in the world to 15 in the world. Shappers can play as – the greatest of all time one day and then be looking like he's going to lose first round of a drunken challenger. So that, that's the only reason I would say is that Andy Murray and I, even though we are classifying him as a midfield player, I think it's a little sad to 
calling a multiple three-time Grand Slam champion a winner after winning two rounds in a in an ATP thousand event. But you know that's that's my opinion. Um, and then Jack Draper, of course, um, 22, 23 and three on the challenger circuit. I mean, as a lefty, I just love to see these lefty guys who who come up and are um, just crafting people around the court, man. I mean, it's just it's just great to see. And he had Rublev. I think he was up to set in a break. Um, again, Rublev is an, just an incredible tennis player. Um, that would have been a, a great win. Maybe just got a little nervous there on his serve. I think um, sometimes he can be a little tentative on his serve. But I think for a player like that, who has been dominating the Challenger Tour, to come onto a stage like Madrid and win a match and then almost beat a uh, top 10 guy in Andre Rublev is extremely impressive. Um, you know, you've seen other guys like Greg Spore and Benjamin Bonzi who, same thing, lighting it up on the Challenger Tour and they come – it's the HB Tour, and they're very ordinary. So I, I cannot wait to see Jack Draper in the, in the grass court swing when we know he's going to be playing ATP events because he's going to be getting wild cards, and we know that the British crowd is going to be raucously behind him. So uh, I love that as a winner, even though it's just a one-round you know, one win. I, I think that's great. Right. Yeah, no, totally agree. Love to see him taking that momentum from the Challenger Tour onto the ATP Tour. And, yes, um, wild card season for Jack Draper is right around the corner in – the UK, so you know we look forward season. to that for sure. <laughs> wild card season. It is it is wild card season for Jack. Uh, I, I can't wait to see like how many British players who are just like below 250, 300 are getting into these ATP events. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be. And uh, but if you don't know, we both have British connection. I was actually born in uh, in Solihull, a suburb of Birmingham in England, um, and uh, obviously. A dual citizen, uh, USA and Britain, and then Vid also, also secondhand has British citizenship. So uh, we are always going to be a little biased towards British tennis, as you can see the Andy Murray pick um, potentially coming in uh, with that bias. So um, yeah, uh, yeah, excited for it's 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 I'm excited for the grass court season, but um, yeah, do you have any losers from the midfield? Yeah, well? yeah, losers. Unfortunately, both I have two losers, both both Americans. Um, okay. Brooksby um, losing like I, yeah and he hasn't probably hasn't had a lot of experience on clay but um, just getting worked by Robbie Bats Owen <laughs> you don't like to see that especially from a guy like Brooksby who's just so such a dog on the court so good and obviously he'll bounce back but and Robbie Bats who's kind of you could compare his game to Brooksby a little bit as well you know to see um, yeah totally yeah he's a grinder Brooksby's a grinder Robbie Bats is a Savvy vet, Spaniard, um, taking out Brooksby. I think it's uh, honestly a little bit expected. Just yeah, I think it's the magnitude, right? He was a destruction. What was the score like 0-4? Yeah, I think the fact that it was 0-2 is just kind of crazy. But that's, that's, I totally agree. Um, yeah. A little bit expected, but he is unfortunately um, a loser for the week, in my opinion. And I also think Opelka. Who did Opelka? Opelka's lost, I think, three matches in a row now. Yeah, I think he won Houston and then has lost every match in Houston. Yeah, so obviously he was having a great – I mean, still is having a great season, but I think for this week he's my he's my loser. Yeah, I think some of these guys, big servers, specifically Opelka, they're just going to have to, you know, move back into the woodwork. And in the clay season, I don't even think it's really worth mentioning them just because their games are just not suited for the clay. I thought, you know, in Houston I, I was kind of optimistic seeing that. Um but at the same time, you know, Isner hasn't had the worst results over his career 
uh, on clay. I think he made the French Open quarterfinals a couple times, and um, he's even had some wins here this clay court season. So maybe it's just about um, experience for, for Opelka as someone who's a big server and needing to adapt uh, adapt his game on clay courts a little bit. So, so for you, it's Opelka, and if you agree with me, Zverev, they're gonna just it's just damage control. I do not agree with uh, uh, this Zverev about damage control because we've seen that he can perform on clay courts. I mean, he he's won Madrid two times, right? Um, I, I just think I classify them differently. Like, I think Opelka is just trying to get out of the clay court season with as many wins as he can. Um, I don't think it's the same for Zverev. I think Zverev is still fighting, trying to fight for titles and and, and fight for the French Open. Okay. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That makes sense. I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Opelka has any intention of making a deep run at the French Open or at any of these Masters. I think he's, he's got a chance to visit Europe, hang out a little bit, take some cool Instagrams, hang out with Tommy Paul, and, <laughs> and maybe get some ATP ranking points in the process. We don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't think, think Opelka is super passionate about the, the clay either. I don't think he likes it. Um, whereas I think, I think Zverev doesn't mind it at all. Um, so. Okay. Agreed. 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 Yep. Um, all right. Next What's up next? Um, yeah, who, so you you talked about Brooksby. Um, yeah, Brooksby, I mean, yeah, young, young player needs to, needs to learn how to play and play. That's pretty much it. Um, uh, I do, I, 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 we can do, why don't we just go to trivia right now? Um, we don't want to touch on any of our points. We don't have to. We don't want to touch on uh, Ika's return. We don't want to touch no, we can on. Do tell, let's do a telling preview after. I want to break it up with some trivia. Okay, all right. I want to break this up with some trivia. Okay. This is, um, if this gets too long, we might have to cut out the trivia, unfortunately. Dude, fuck that. Dude, the trivia is the best. Because the viewers can be like, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, Alexander Zverev has a 5.3% double fault percentage, which means 5.3% of his serves uh, are double fault. There's actually two players that are ahead of him in that percentage that are in currently in the top – 30 in the rankings. Two players that are higher. Now, one player, I give you a little hint of the 5.5% double fall percentage, and another guy, 6.46% double fall percentage. Who are these two players that are worse at double falling than Alexander Zverev? It's just crazy to think because you think of Alexander Zverev as the double fall king. And ATP, so it's not Arena Sabalenka. Okay. No, it's ATP, ATP top 30 players. There's two guys, actually. It's, I was surprised when I looked this up. I don't know. I'm going to go – I have no idea. I'm going to go Bozzi-Lashvili. I feel like he double faults a lot. And um, the, sec- the second one? Um, there's two guys higher. Yeah, and there's no way I get this right. Uh, another – who do I think double faults a lot? Um, I feel like Shappers. I mean, they played each other today, Bozzi-Lashvili and Shappers, but is either of them in there? <laughs> you got it! <laughs> Shoppers actually has the highest, the second highest double fall percentage in ATP this year. It's 6.46%. And actually, here, we're going to do a bonus point. We're going to do a bonus point. Who is the number one in the tour double fall? I think he's, he's a top 60 player, top 50 maybe. Um, He's not in the top 30, so I guess you've got a range there of kind of lower midfield players. And again, someone you can definitely guess if you, if you think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. You, the trifecta, we might have to end the podcast if you get it, because this is just absolutely ridiculous right now. 
<laughs> okay. Um, okay. Uh, the... Um... Don't overthink it. I mean, just, you know, it's a, it's a guy he's not in the top 30. Um, he's a tour. You know him. Just take a guess. Doesn't matter. It's, you're, you're going to be like, when I tell you, you're going to be like, I could have gotten it. That's, that's a hit. That's a good hit. It's, it's, TFO's in the top 30. Right? TFO? I mean, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> One more hint, bro. No, just, just guess. Come on. Hurry up. This is getting, you got to go. Got to go. Quickly. Uh, <laughs> now you want to do trivia. Just, huh? yeah, just tell me. I just don't even know who to Oh, do. you have to do, you have to just guess, man. Come on. Just pick a player, even if you don't think it is. Just, we need to guess. I mean, I've given you a lot of hints. 10, 9, 8, 7. Rainovich. No okay, that's a terrible guess. I mean, he's, I've never seen that guy double fall in my entire life. So <laughs> it's uh, Bublik. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Like I said, you could probably have guessed it, but I think the thing about Shappers is like, yeah, he double falls a lot, but his second serve is so fucking good and like just so huge. You don't think of him as a double falter, but. When it comes to Zverev, his, his second serve is literally like he's like pushing it like he's in the ten under. So I was actually, yeah, I mean, I was watching, the, I was watching the Bazi Lashvili Shapper's match while I ate my breakfast at eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just looked like they're both double faulting a lot. I mean, yeah, I was watching the Bazi Lashvili Shapper's match as well. Unfortunately, uh, at work, the positive is we do have the t- tennis channel. The negative is it's not in high definition. So. We're watching clay court tennis in regular definition, which is, um, I would say, akin to borderline torture. So um, you can go ahead. Um, you can go ahead and move into our next segment. Uh, what is that? What is the next segment? Do we want to do Italian Open preview? Yeah, it's an Italian Open preview, and we can talk a little about the women. I don't know. Uh, I wish I would pay attention to what's happening in this week of women. Um, I think you know we probably we're not gonna. But do we want to touch on Emma? I mean, that's honestly the only thing I know that happened. That's like, I'm trying to think. Who else? I haven't. I haven't been looking. I haven't really been looking at the scores. Also, tennis TV. There's no women's. You can't watch. Yeah. Um, let's just let's run down this list. Give our give our you know takes, and then yeah. uh, we can also skip anything. I yeah, don't that's fine. Really have any? But yeah, let's go. Iga Iga return. Yeah. What do you think, Ben? Will Iga Spiontek restore order after? A very, very boring Madrid Open. All due respect to Anz Jabor and Jesse Pagula. And con- congratulations, Anz, on your, your vid. Well, what's the Iga going to do this week? Um, yeah, no, I think just back to the final, I think that yeah, I think Anz is a contender for slams. Um, you know, uh, just going back to that point, I think she's a contender up with the, with the top girls. But Iga is in a league of her own, uh, the queen of the WTA. Um, this year and I think she'll continue to be throughout the rest of the year and you know I think in Rome she'll you know even if she doesn't win she'll go deep and she's still on that 24 match win streak something like that and it's remarkable um it's great to see her back and I think she's just gonna kind of pick up where she left off and just dominate yeah I mean it's interesting you talk about Ons. I think she's more in the blue chip uh level of women's and I would usually say when it comes to women's someone in that level even the midfield can come in and win a major but um when it comes to Iga she's just so dominant that I almost see her as like one of these dominant players in the men's game 
I don't want to, I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to say Nadal. I'm not going to say any of these people, but in terms of the peak level she's playing right now, I just don't, I don't see anyone really beating her. Do you know what her, what does her draw look like this week? Do you know? Iga? No, oof, no idea. I took a look at, I took a peek at the woman's draw, but I, I don't know. No, I don't. Okay. Know. So it'll be good. And um, maybe we'll get some, some ons, uh, ons against, against Iga action. Um, but yeah, which, does she withdraw because of injury? Was she injured or what? From last I don't think so. I think she just wanted to take a week off. Or I don't think it was injury. Okay. Which yeah. honestly, great idea. Great idea. Why, why just keep going? Who yeah. Knows? So, I mean, that, that kind of leads into our little mini topic here about Osaka, Alcaraz, both withdrawing. Um, um, Osaka, I'm not even, I don't know. I just, why did she withdraw? I have no idea. Is she injured? I don't know. Haven't followed it. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna not talk about Naomi. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I know that she has a sweet green bowl that she has. Like, I don't know. If she's she's now sponsored by Sweet Green. So I like I said, I don't really pay that much attention to Naomi either. Um, she uh, she can obviously she's one of the best players in the world, but at the same time, um, you know, you don't know when that motivation is gonna slip. So I'm not someone I'm necessarily paying attention to. But ordering a sweet green bowl, you can now get a Naomi Osaka bowl at sweet green so yeah 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 you can do that I mean, we don't want to, i don't think we should be advertising for them for all for all one two people listening to this podcast um i would because i think it's really healthy and it's really good so i do it for free but um yeah so naomi withdrawing there's never a rhyme or reason about why that is so i'm not going to touch on it alcaraz just just smart play i think He's been – he has so much confidence, just, just prepped for the French Open. This sends a message to the tennis world that he is, you know, his goal is to win the French Open and um, sends a strong message. And I think him coming in fresh, I, I don't know, maybe his first couple rounds he'll have to work off a little rust, but I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. I think it was just a smart move on his part. Um, Juan Carlos Ferrero, I don't know if he advised him to do that or – what happened there, but I thought it was a great decision. Uh, Carlos yeah. has a great team working um, with him. That's for sure. No, he has the right people in his ear and he has the right people that he trusts and that trust him uh, to make these decisions. Um, I agree, especially because he was a little banged up. I think, um, you know, he had a couple injuries, but you know, maybe even if he was, if he wasn't injured, I might've said, you know, try and play. Um, but uh, yeah, smart decision. And uh We'll see what happens. I think, yeah, you know, we did see him lose to Corda, so we, we, you never know. Like you said, you never know at a Grand Slam. Um, uh, he will be, I think, a little out of rhythm in his first couple of matches, but it's way better to play it safe. And you know, if you get injured again here, you don't even get to have a chance um, at the French Open. Um, look, we don't want to harp on the Alcaraz Rafa thing at all, but this is Rafa's clay court season at at, at 18 years old. He won Monte Carlo. He then won Barcelona. This is Rafa. He then won Rome, okay? He then won Roland Garros. And then he won a bunch of other tournaments that season. So <laughs> you talk about just historically insane. I mean, that, that, that was rough at all. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just, just nuts. So yeah, so I think we're, we both agree that it was a good – I guess maybe based on what you're saying, maybe you're saying that Carlos could have gone through – I mean, I don't know. I'm saying because he was injured, I think, or a little banged up, I'm 100% agreement. If not, I think maybe I would have played some double action. Okay. Yeah, so, okay, okay. We're, we agree. Agree there. All right. Uh, Warinka, Novak, 
possible round of 16 matchup. It's cool. It's cool to see them play in the round of 16 if they both get there. Um, but at the same time, I think – I actually haven't watched Wawrinka play since he's been back because he what, played one challenger and is this his first ATP? I don't know. I haven't watched him play, but – I think he just got his first win of his comeback in the first round. Yes, and I think I think it, it'll be cool to see them play each other, but I think Novak will um, handle him. Um, yeah, Wawrinka, of course, still has to win his round tomorrow um, to get there, but I'm actually really happy that he came back and we kind of – I don't think expect him to be challenging for tournament wins or anything, but um, I think he's a player that deserves uh, his victory tour. And um, just to be acknowledged at all the grand slams one last time as someone who's won, uh, you know, three different, three different uh, grand slam events. And uh, I mean, Warenka is someone who just, we don't talk about enough in terms of just how amazing he was at tennis and, and his head to head wins against Novak, uh, at the U.S. Open, at the French Open. So um, I'm excited to see Warrenka on the court, like you said. I think Novak will probably take care of him, but it'll, be, it'll still be good to watch. Um, Zverev, easy draw? Yeah, I put this in here. Now, wait. I'm going to three is easy draw. Um, yeah, Zverev. He's going to play who's Sebastian Baez. I mean, yeah, he'll probably destroy Sebastian. Even Sebastian Baez playing great. I'm actually so excited for that match tomorrow because it's like Sebastian Baez is on an eight-match win streak, um, and Zverev is obviously lost. So, and we see how nervous he gets. I'm going to be interested to see if I'll be interested in that. I'll be interested in Tommy Paul Zverev. Um, Tommy beat him. Indian Wells. Um, Tommy Paul's just he's good. I mean, he's good. He's a threat. Okay. And he's also, I think, a guy whose game, because he's got so much threat. He's so calm. He's so chilled out all the time. He's got so much variety that his game is one of the few kind of like Americans who I think actually will translate into clay court. Um, and I think last week he almost had a huge win. Um, yeah. He, he almost beat um, – oh, dude, yeah. He was up – dude, he was up a set, and he had four match points against center. In the first round, I mean, to to almost beat Sinner on clay is just ridiculous, right? Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see what Tommy Paul. Maybe he can. Do, maybe he's my dark horse this week. Maybe I just put that on the fly there. That he might. Be yeah, I'll just I'll just go ahead and agree with you there. Yeah, he is always a threat. He's always just so relaxed on the court. It's just just great. He's always a threat. Um, we've seen him beat Zverev. He might play Zverev. Uh, this is actually these guys. Either these guys, Baez, Tommy Paul. Anyone, literally anyone in the draw, jump on Zverev early, get yeah. a break, slide that first set, you know, then I think Zverev will be down in the dumps. Um, I mean, Baez is someone who just does not let up, dude. Like, you cannot make errors. Like, all this, the Zverev needs to be on point against this guy because he might be, he might be like the fastest guy on the ACB tour right now. He's everywhere. You, you need, you cannot make, you cannot make errors against, against Baez. So I cannot. My, was it 5 a.m. match tomorrow? I might have to get up and do some facet cardio while watching that on my iPad. I don't know. Um, so, okay, let's see. Uh, yeah, it was very easy draw. It was, the, it was the Alcaraz section of the draw. So that was Bruce Avori actually slipped in, got a bye first round, and played Christian Guerin, which is just, I mean, not the best second-round matchup. Guerin got through. So good to see him, I guess, in the third round of a Masters 1000 after his dismal year. I think Nori's in that section as well, Karenna Busta, and then – uh, Zverev would play Sitsipas in the semifinals. Um, 
if Sitsipas gets through, we've got Sitsipas Dimitrov tomorrow. Um, and then uh, Rublev out of that section uh, lost to Krajanovic. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Casper? Should we talk about Casper? Because I think we have to talk about Casper because it's something I think, we should, that, I think we should wrap up soon. Do we want to talk about Casper and then do we want to talk about what happened to Emma today or no? Let's do both and then we can always edit it, man. Okay. Okay, let's do, yeah, let's do Casper and Emma. Um, Casper, I honestly, I don't have much to say on Casper. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been, it's very disappointing. His season has been good on clay. He's lost a little bit of his confidence. Um, I think this is honestly his last chance before the Roland Garris to find some form on clay. Uh, and I saw him today. He didn't look great. He pulled out a good victory against Botic, uh 6-4 in the third. But, um, yeah, his backhand just looks like he's not hitting through the ball and doesn't have 100% confidence. Um, I really was, he, you know, if he talking about dark horses of, the clay court season, he was going to be one of mine um, for maybe the French Open, but he's taken a step backwards. So, um, yeah, let's, let's hope he can maybe make some noise. I think he could, actually. He could find some form. He could do it. Here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll say that, you know, he, he's, you know, he's a rhythm player, and he always has rhythm on his forehand and not always on his backhand. And if there's rhythm on his backhand there, his backhand's a great shot. If it's not there, it's just not a great shot. So I think – if he can find that, if he can find that backhand, I think he'll be able to turn it around, um, have a good Rome, have a good Roland Garros, and then and then head out to his probably whatever clay two hundred and fifty he wants to play after that. <laughs> That's his speciality is the clay court two hundred and fifty um, events. And also, yeah, yeah, crazy just to think about. Um, obviously, yeah, he can still have some great runs, but I think it was earlier in the year. Um, we were talking about who could win the French and I was throwing his name around maybe a little prematurely. Um, but, um, just yeah. crazy to think where we were back then and where we are now. I just, I don't think he's contender to win. Maybe he wasn't even back then. Maybe it was just something that I was just saying to say, but, um, yeah. No, I mean, you talk about a guy who made the finals of Miami on a hard court and we think he's a better clay court player. I mean, that was the logical thing to think earlier in the season. But I think when you have a guy, any of these guys who are younger, who are ascending in the rankings, and their entire career tra tra trajectory has essentially been upwards. You're always going to hit a patch where you're not playing your best. And um, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about, but I think Casper is in that patch right now. Um, and I'm excited to see how he responds to it. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um... Now do we haven't really do we talk about our favorite Brit? Uh, is she our favorite Brit? I don't know, um, but she is a Grand Slam champion. Our, is she our favorite? She's a Grand Slam champion. What other Brit's a Grand Slam champion? Andy. What Martin. other Brit? Uh, and we have Cam Nori, who is the only player to ever win the BNP Paribas Open in October. So pretty cool but um <laughs> yeah so better yeah i mean I, I i don't know i didn't really watch the emma match i mean it was i think two and six two i don't know what do you think i mean i didn't watch it no i didn't watch the match um i saw that she was i saw the first set just the score uh she was getting kind of annihilated by bianca and then two one i saw she retired um yeah, I don't know. I think that – I think she needs to figure out these injuries. It's, it's tough having this many injuries when you're, you know, yeah. years old. And it may be 
a factor of just just stepping into the tour and playing at that competitive level week in and week out week in week out which she was not doing before and that may be the case and hopefully is the case but also couldn't be the case so I think it's we're just gonna have to wait and see uh what happens if this continues down the line I also think that for her how much of this do you think is mental I mean look she's physically injured but at the same time she hasn't had the best results so what do you think uh, how much of this do you think is mental um I, I I mean I think I think there's a lot weighing on her mentally for sure um um yeah physical mental she's changed coaches again um she's always in the spotlight 100% of the time and to be honest it's only going to get mentally it's only going to get worse for her coming up into Wimbledon and the US Open with just you know a ton of points to defend at Wimbledon yeah. and also points she Fourth round, right? Wimbledon last year? I think fourth round, yeah. And U.S. Open points, she would have to, you know, it's impossible to defend all of them because she will not be playing qualifying. Well, my question is that – it's true. I, don't, I think the WTA might – I'm not sure what the WTA rankings – are they still in the two-year thing? Because from the pandemic, they did the two years. So I'm not sure if those points drop off. I think our viewers are going to have to check us on that. But um, <laughs> let's, 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 let's just like, assume that they are, and I agree. It's going to be more pressure the, the longer you are in tour without uh, a big result. Uh, I think when it comes to Britain and, and English fans, I would say they are the best in the world. There's, there's just no question for me. Uh, of course, you see down under sometimes uh, can get rowdy as well. But um, there's two kinds of players, right? There's one kind of player who gets energized by being at your home crowd and, and feeling the support and feeling the love. And there's another type of player that will shut down and basically feel like, ah, even though they support me, I want to win for them so badly that it might hurt their performance, you know? So uh, I think it's yet to, yet to be seen with them. I think if it, like last year, it was obviously her breakout tournament. And that was when she first realized she could play at the top level. So it helped her. Um, but then she also, you know, felt, uh, you know, kind of nervous in her fourth round match as well. Um, so I'm excited to see her play in front of the British fans. Um, that'll be good. I, the clay court season, I think she's injured. I almost think she should just, I don't even know, like play Roland Garros, but if you're not feeling well, maybe just focus on the grass. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think as long as she's healthy, I think she should play. She needs to just keep playing matches and, um, you know, keep, keep going. Hopefully she has the right, you know, people telling her what to do. She hopes she does. And then, also, you know, people rag on her about the endorsements and stuff, but I disagree with that. I mean, take advantage of it. Um, I would if I was if I was 19 years old, slam champion. It'd be I'd be having a good time. So I think she should, you know, have a good time as well, but also focus on the tennis. And I think she can find a balance of both. But yeah, I mean, we need we just we only need to look back at the U.S. Open. I, I don't think that was a fluke at all. I think her tennis level. She is. She. I will say what one last thing. Maybe not having great results recently, but when I watch her play tennis, if my opinion means anything, she looks freaking good all the time. Every time she's playing, I'm like, wow, she's good at tennis. So exactly, but she just somehow just doesn't always pull up matches, lose a lot of close ones. I agree. I mean, the forehand, backhand, the return, the second serve is one of the best second serves in women's tennis. Um, I think that if you look, I mean, I don't want to compare these two necessarily in terms of how good they're going to be, but... Alcaraz, I think it's almost good that he's had this very slow buildup into potentially winning a Grand Slam, where you saw him last year kind of 
beat Tsitsipas at the U.S. Open. Um, you know, you saw him win some tournaments this year. Now he's winning 1,000 events. And I think Emma didn't have that buildup. She just had that Grand Slam win, which is great. And I think she's, she's still kind of trying to deal with um, all the ramifications of that. So, I don't know. I think that's great. I think we can wrap it up there. I'm not sure if you have anything else. Yeah, no, I think we can wrap it up there. As if that's our first, first podcast, first attempt at it. And um, we'll hopefully see everyone, if anyone, on our next podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Sounds good. Okay. See ya.